This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello and welcome to an extra Talking Flutes Extra. This week, that sounded a bit weird, didn't it? Extra, extra, with me, Jean-Paul Wright. The intro music was The Baby Elephant Walk by Henry Mancini, or Mancini, and arranged and performed on a complete set of TJ flutes and piccolos by the wonderful bearded flute player Barry Griffiths, a.k.a. Grizzly Flute, on social media. So why an extra podcast this week? Well, back in May... You might remember that we recorded a podcast with the New York-based Swedish flute player, author, educator and very dear friend of mine, Elsa Nilsson. And to be honest, it was a hard podcast to record and listen back to as Elsa was really struggling emotionally with the COVID lockdown and the effect it was having on not only her music, but the music scene in general. So what did I do? I got in touch with Elsa and said, Let's do an extra podcast. Let's throw one in, in the middle of a week. Because I'm sure people would love to know how she is now. A huge talking flutes extra. Once again, welcome to Elsa Nielsen. This is London Calling, London Calling. Hi, Elsa. Hi, Jean-Paul. Thank you so much for having me back. That was a really lovely intro. (laughs) A bit long, wasn't it? (laughs) I mean, I love that you said. I love that you said. I managed to get a hold of her because, dude, I don't have anything going on. Later today. <laughs> no, actually, it's been me that's been the bit the busier one because I'm sure anyone listening here that knows me know that also knows that I've been virtually impossible to get a hold of for the last six weeks. It's been really, really busy. But as you say, I have lots of strings to my bow, and sadly or probably opportunistically, I don't have to rely totally on making my living like you do out of music, education and playing live. Yeah. So we left the last podcast, Elsa. You were very down. You were very low. You were trying hard to see ahead, but you were finding it very, very difficult to see the wood for the trees. You were saying that Occasionally there was, you could see the moon coming out into the dark night, but it really was navigating through. A few months later, how are you now? Oof. Um, I mean, the world hasn't really changed that much. Where, where I am, really where I am now is just trying to not sink into that mindset too much. Because the facts haven't really changed. Like... The, the predictions for how many venues are going to close in New York City is like 95% of independent venues are not going to survive. And it's going to be at least a year, if not more, before live music can even happen. And there's like the way that the price structure is and the way that the venues are structured here, that's just like not, not survivable. Um, so we don't know, like we really don't know what's going to happen in terms of live performance. Um, what I do know is that people need it and that something will come back and I'm going to stay in New York because I want to be here to rebuild it. Now that's interesting because it could have been tempting to move out of New York, couldn't it? Oh, for sure. Lots of people have left. Where would you have gone? 
if you had moved? Apart from going back to Sweden, where would you have gone? No, um, I would have gone somewhere with trees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that doesn't make me, that makes me laugh for one certain, one, one reason only, is that you're such a lover of nature, aren't you? It's not the fact that I have a giant redwood tattoo tattooed on my ribs what, so why wouldn't you've gone back to sweden bearing in mind they've just taken a completely different tack on covid yeah i mean at this point i've lived in the u.s for 15 years and my family's here both of my brothers are here my mom is here um all of my husband's family is here mm. um, i don't really have family in sweden anymore i don't have a social network there in the way that i do here and the people that are really, really important to me, like my, my band members and my artistic collaborators, they're all still in New York. And we're all, we are all sticking it out. What I would be leaving behind if I went back to Sweden is a lot more than New York, the concept. It's, it's my community. And that's still here. And your, commu- and your community is basically Elsa because you live for community. I do. Um, and I think of, I think of music as liquid community. Like that's what we're experiencing when we're experiencing live music is, is community. Like that's, that's what sound expresses because it is a time-based art form, right? You have, you have a constraint on sound that is time. It starts, it goes and it ends. But the fact that we're together in the moments, experiencing the sounds together, that is community. That is the most literal form of community. If we're talking in terms of artistic abstraction. Yeah, we are. So the biggest thing taken away from you and all your fellow musicians and collaborators is community. I know people will say, yeah, but you can have community online. But believe me, it's not the same. It's not. It's really not. Like That's actually one of the things that is uh, is giving me hope at this point is the idea that nobody likes this nobody's into having everything be online mm. like it's a placeholder and it's better than having nothing at all and i am so grateful for the internet but i don't know a single person who wouldn't rather be in person there's just something so magic about live music yeah absolutely Certainly live music that isn't, as you do it, which isn't always, well, it's very rarely scripted, is it? So there is a magic and you, as we, we've spoken about before, you walk, you walk along a fine tightrope sometimes and you, your band members and you go with each other. There is no beginning, there is no end. You just go where it takes you. And there is, there's a magic to that. Yeah, I mean, there, to me there is a beginning and an end. It's just that you're choosing when it is. And... It doesn't feel like a tightrope. It feels like a web. Uh, got you. You're on, sure, you're on a balancing point, but you can jump to any of the other ones. And it's that's where the trust comes in, is that if you jump somewhere completely unpredictable, trusting that you're going to land or trusting that if you fall, you know how to catch yourself or your bandmates are going to catch you. Yeah. And actually, like, there is because it's been summer, New York has been more open and there's been the possibility of being outside. So I have been playing with people and that's been helping a lot. Yeah, because you are, 
and I, I don't like the expression half full and half empty, but you have always been a glass half full lady. And I've never, all the, the years I've known you, I've never known you to, your water level or your fluid level to dip below half full or even full because you're, <laughs> you're an embracer and a lover of life. I try. <laughs> and I've, I, I saw you, and I'm sure people that follow you, uh, have seen you really active online during lockdown and also post lockdown. And most recently, you've come up with, and it's linked in to the book you wrote, yes. Between the Beats. And I've noticed you've come up with a very, very interesting new concept that you're putting out and it's almost given you a new lease or I want to say new lease of life but I think we can all see the Elsa coming back yeah that's I mean that's really what I'm trying to do um for myself is remember what I actually am because like when, when we talked last time a lot of what I was struggling with was that I felt like who I was and my identity mm. had been taken. Yes. Because that like everything that I defined myself by was gone. And that's still kind of true. Like I'm not able to do like the world does not allow me to do the things that make me feel like myself right now. But there's ways around that and I mean it's not around that it's just it's just embracing the fact that the online space can be used for positive things yeah and this in particular is one of your loves which is education teaching yeah. um but it's edu- um, teaching with a difference teach. isn't it yes what I love to teach is kind of philosophy-based practicing where you're like you're practicing very specific exercises that everyone works on like you're working on scales but the way that you approach those scales the way that you the way that you experience your own sound and the sensation of you playing is important and how to how to work on that and how to incorporate philosophical and spiritual ideas into your practice routine and for me that all lives in the rhythmic space because music is only music is only three things. It's melody, harmony, and rhythm. That's like if we're going getting into the nuts and bolts of it, that's what music is. And you can't have if you don't have one of those, you don't have music. So tell me about this project. What I've done is I'm creating a video series that is me getting really, really deep into every one of the concepts in the book. And I'm releasing a video every week on Patreon. And it's, I want it to be a class that's an, a running, ongoing class that anyone can access. Um, and there's like different, there's different levels of it. So you can access it at a level where you just view the videos. You can access it at a level where there's going to be uh, a monthly online class where we interact around the materials. Um, and it's on Patreon, which we can put a link somewhere, but it's, between the beats on Patreon. Um, and what I want to do with that is basically teach the things that I love to teach to anyone who wants to participate. Um, because so much, 
so much of what I see in education and what I've seen both as a student and as a teacher at universities and in organized educational settings is that a lot of stuff gets, a lot of stuff is hard to explain. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you always know when there's a, a musician who plays a piece that everyone else plays, but there's something about how they play it that makes it so much better and sucks you in so much more. And how do you practice that? Like what, what part of music is that thing that is transportive and that does bring us along on the journey? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the old adage, isn't it? Is that that blob on the stick on that page, we could all play that little blob, can't we? But yeah. each one of it, each one of us will play it differently. A, a lot, a lot of people would play that blob, and it would be magic. But it's still play, we're still playing the same note. But what makes it magic? Right, and that's that's what I love to teach, and that's like that doesn't fit into a college curriculum necessarily. Like you can you can shove it in there, but in a in a college setting or in a organized educational setting you have to cover certain bases so that people are ready for the test basically um and doing this in the patreon way and doing this like on entirely on my own terms which is you know how i like to work um it means that i can get into concepts that are completely practicable like these are these are things that are actually pretty easy to practice but they're not something that you can test someone on. It's just, it's much more about using music as a meditation to discover who you are. So I know we've done a podcast on Between the Beats earlier in the year, but can you give our listeners a quick quick overview of the book and then how you've managed to, or you're managing to deconstruct the book for this online Patreon concept that you're driving at the moment? So Between the Beats, I it took me about three or four years to write it. And for me, I started playing classical music as a kid, like classical music and folk music. Um, by folk music, I mean Swedish traditional music. And in Sweden, we don't have drums in our traditional music. It's just like strings and flutes, it's just melody. Um, But I moved to the US and I started going to school for jazz and everyone was telling me that my rhythm wasn't good and I needed to work on my rhythm. And I had no idea what that meant because I was playing the rhythms right, but I wasn't connecting to anything. And basically like throughout my undergrad and my graduate school, I came, I studied with only bass players and drummers, a couple guitar players and piano players, but basically I was told that my rhythm needed work. So I'm like, well, who knows rhythm? Bass players and drummers, go there. And what Between the Beats is, is the things that I have practiced in order to get my time feel together. And it's time feel is such a, it's such a fluffy term. It's not about playing everything perfectly. 
it's about taking responsibility for the time and having an internal relationship with rhythm that I can experience in real time with the rest of the musicians. It's actually the trust I was talking about earlier. This is where it comes from. If I play a wrong note, I know things aren't going to fall apart because my internal sense of time is so strong that I can pivot around anything. And between the beats is just, it's just all the things that I have practiced and all the ways that I practice those things to make them, to make my playing as a flute player work in a context where people are thinking in terms of groove, which I would argue every music has a groove. This, this stuff, this way of relating to rhythm, I think is lost in the way that we teach in the classical world, for sure. Because rhythm is just what's on the page. Like you play it right and then you're good. That's not what rhythm is. Rhythm is a physical and emotional experience of the note and the duration of the note and the placement. Like there's so much more to that. And I think that that's the part that takes you from playing the right notes to creating something magical. So what I'm doing in the videos is demonstrating the concepts because in a book form, like I can write about it and I can philosophize about it all I want. But if you can hear, if you can really hear and see how to execute the exercises and how to implement them on the music that you love to do, I think that I, I feel like that's a, a much clearer and more direct way to communicate the information I want to share. So let's look at that first video that you put up. The five minute one or the 20 minute one? The 20 minute one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the, the five minutes, great. The 20 minute one, because you have a way of simplifying what you're going to put over to the audience. Mm. It's almost as though you're in front of a class. And as I was watching it, it, it scales, but it's not scales because you're getting the person watching it to think differently. Yes. So tell me about this video. Well, it's the, it's the first lesson in the, in the series. And what it's starting to do is to show people how to grow their relationship to the beat. Because a lot of what we experience as melody players is if anyone else is playing, we're like, oh, we're going to follow them. Like their rhythm dictates how we experience it. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? Yes. The exercises in that in the first video are all about how we dictate the time, how we as melody players sink into the role of being the comfortable one and being able to lead with our notes. Um, and what the exercise is, it's fairly simple. You start with a metronome, you play your scale, the metronome is on every beat. Then you play the same scale and you take out every other beat. And as soon as you start taking those, um, and take out every other beat of the metronome. So instead of the metronome going one, two, three, four, it goes one, three, one, three. The more space you leave between the metronome clicks, the more space you, as a melody player, have to get off from the metronome. And if you're noticing those spots, like if you tend to speed up when you're going up the scale and slow down when you're going down the scale, which is the most common thing, if you're doing that when you're playing scales, you're definitely doing it when you're playing pieces. So these exercises, like the that video, the last one I did, 
was one click every eight bars with the metronome at 60 BPM, which really means <laughs> that there's one click every 1.875. Yeah, that's the, that's the metronome marking, 1.875, which wow. is crazy. Hmm. <laughs> um, but because I can do that, my experience of the phrase and my experience of time is super solid. Like I don't, no matter what I'm playing, no matter what's going on on the surface, my physical experience of the motion of music is grounded all the time and is moving very slowly. Like I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking really far and I'm seeing destinations and I'm seeing landing points, but it means that I can create a lot more tension and I can create a lot more elasticity in terms of how I experience rhythm. So a lot of, a lot of players are yeah. at the fundamental root, certainly uh, people that are learning and studying. I have an insecurity with rhythm, uh, mm-hmm. certainly rhythm over long periods. Right. And especially when they're not accompanied because they tend to be dragged along or they're playing along to the beat of the piano or the orchestra or the symphonic band or right. whoever they're playing with. By doing these exercises, do you think, well, you not think, I think you believe that you could turn a quite insecure rhythmic player into someone that is much more confident to lead within the musical context? I mean, I'm, I believe that because that's what I did. I mean, that, that you're describing my experience of musical growth between age 18 and age 22. I came into college, and if there was a break, if there was a four-bar break in a tune, I would lose the talent. And, like, my, my husband remembers before I could keep the form on a blues because I could not physically experience a four-bar phrase. I didn't have the rhythmic capacity to understand what a four bar phrase felt like because I was just thinking about the melody. These are the exercises that built that awareness for me and that made it possible for me. Like at this point, I mess with my bands rhythmically. Like one of my games when I'm playing when I'm playing with like South by Northeast or with my quartet is I get some harebrained idea in my head and I see how far I can take it before things start falling apart around me. <laughs> because I'm messing with everybody else. Well, the best way of writing a book or to do a series like you're doing on Patreon is through experience and putting something down that has taken you from I wouldn't say despair, but from a real big negative entity within your flute playing and musical life into solving it, to fixing it. And in doing so, it's actually, instead of making made you more rigid, it's given you complete freedom to push. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's like, that's one of the things that I love talking about around these concepts is a lot of people will come to me and ask like, well, if I work with a metronome, won't that make me more rigid because I'm working with something mechanical? And my response to that is always, well, it will if you want it to. Like, 
the metronome is not a sentient being that is out to ruin your emotional experience of music. It's really not. It's a machine. And how you use it defines your musical experience with it. So if you're, say we're taking the first and third beat, mm -hmm. and we're missing the second and fourth. Mm -hmm. If we're playing da 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 da, for example, yep. Do your does your brain, even though you can hear the first and the third, are you listening for the first and the third beats, or are you naturally hearing the second and fourth? Honestly, for me, mm -hmm. the at this point where I am in my in how I experience time, I never listen for anything less than a downbeat. Yeah, first beat on each bar. Yeah. And often, not even that often, I'm like, I'm feeling a, a pulse on beat one of every four bars or every two bars, depending on the tempo. Like, that's, that's where I'm experiencing the pulse. And I'm experiencing all of the time in between as a circular motion. Like, the pulse is where when the circle hits the bottom. And the rest of the time, it's fluid. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like this. I prefer the term pulse anyway, rather than beat. Yeah. Because beat, that word beat is very, it's a very hard word, isn't it? Beat and then pulse. Well, uh, beat is also something the drums play. It's, beat is a, it's a term that means a rhythmic pattern. Mm -hmm. And it can be any rhythmic pattern, but a beat implies groove. And it implies like, to me, it implies a melodic rhythm. So what does pulse mean to you then well pulse is like a heartbeat we all have one mm -hmm. and pulse is the thing that like this is this is the image i like to think about when it comes to pulse is our heart is constantly pulsing it's beating but each beat is a pulse the pulse is forcing blood into our bodies and the continuation of that is what keeps us alive and that's the same thing in music the pulse is pushing the momentum it's pushing the sonic momentum forward the pulse keeps it alive yeah and that's exactly how i see a pulse it's a push and a pull isn't it you're pushing yeah. and you're pulling and a beat to me yeah and yeah i'm one of these people that has grown up with a problem with the beat <laughs> yeah i, 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 I listen to recordings the relationship restructuring that needs to happen <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm a lot older than you, my dear. And now I can I, I listen to old radio recordings, and I'm horrified at how I just speed up, and how I can't even claim manipulation of uh, musical manipulation or musical interpretation because it is so obvious that I'm not on that beat. And for me, I love the term pulse. I love that term pushing and pulling. Mm -hmm. um, I get the term that everything is beat. I, I get that. And I suppose starting with, if we're going to be really disciplined and starting to learn how to have a natural regard and a natural relationship with rhythm, that term beat is where we start because that pre then predetermines how we move forward. Right. But I'm, I'm just a sucker for the word pulse, actually. I'm, I much prefer pulse. Um, beat is also like how many beats is a note. It's the... Is more of an intellectual term than pulse. Uh, let's not go there then. Yeah. <laughs> How do you 
because I've heard you talking before, um, and you you talk about you have a beat or a pulse, but mm-hmm. that isn't necessarily the most important part of the music. And you play in completely odd time signatures, and you 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 play sort of odd rhythms and. Seventeen eight is the jam. I'm so into seventeen. Yeah, right let's now. not do talk about 17-8 because that just makes my brain boil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you, you speak a lot about the importance of inside the beat, in that gap yeah. or these gaps, which actually it's the gaps that actually create that magic. It's not what you do on that hit when you yeah. hit, when you hit that beat. It's that what you do beyond and before it yeah um there's an intentionality there and to me that's a big part of it like we were talking we were talking before we started taping about mindfulness a little bit this is again like um these rhythmic exercises and the way that you sit in rhythm and the way that you sit in rhythm as a musician is 100 percent a mindfulness thing because if you're just thinking about the click, that's very small. But there's the space in between and then how you relate to that click. There's so much information there. Um, and I say information as like emotional information. It's, it's also the difference between live and recorded music, right? If you're listening to a recording, it's beautiful, but you're missing where the musicians breathe and you're missing the body language you're missing all of the details that make it come alive. There's a reason we use the word live. There's, it's a record of an event when it's a recording. It's alive when you're there in person. Um, and for me, the rhythmic aspects of this is what takes it from beautiful to incredible and transform, uh, transformative. And I've, this is actually something that I experienced a lot with listening to classical music because there are plenty of classical players who can do this and can do this really, really well. And those are the players for me where, or the ensembles where my experience listening to them is that they're breathing together. Like they are really existing in time together. And it's a little hard to put words on what I exactly mean by that, but it's the big landing thing, right? Where it's not that you're landing together on every beat. You're not entirely together all the time, but where you're breathing. And I'm talking about like the emotional sense of the music taking a breath, which doesn't mean a pause. It doesn't mean rest. It means a lift or a grounding. Like the, the duality of flow that happens when music is really incredible, like you're, you feel momentum moving, you feel it ebbing and flowing. That comes from the spaces in between the beats. That comes from your relationship to what it means to land together, what it means to breathe together. And all of this starts with everybody having the same relationship to time passing. So between the beats is really a multi-layered sentence, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's me. You know what I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> but it's yeah. interesting. It's an interesting concept to try and get. It has to come from, I suppose, 
the foundation of it has to come from an acceptance from the musician that there is a weakness. And it's not necessarily a weakness in our technique. It could come back to the weakness in us understanding our relationship with the beat. And obviously, if we're trying to get faster because we're going up a scale and we're not achieving what we expect to be achieving, it may not be due to, due to muscle memory or our ability. It could just be our relationship with the beat. So what's always, what's always fascinated me is your desire to try and do something very, very different with a tutor book. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's something different. It's also something that I feel is incredibly important and not talked about enough. No, oh, absolutely. Because like what, if we look at what music is in our culture and what it has been historically, like there's very few artists who are remembered for their skill only. You know what I mean? Like people are remembered for their presence and yeah. for their artistry. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're exactly right. And for me, I can listen to flute players that thrill me with their technical wizardry. But after one or two pieces, I'm sort of, I'm done. I'm done with it. I actually want to be moved emotionally. Yeah. And there is, like, this is, this is a thing that happens a lot when people are studying. I think, like, when you're in school, it's really easy to just be like, well, I have to get my technique together. Technique is super easy to work on. You just look at what's wrong and you fix it. You just practice and then it gets better. The philosophical stuff... Are you laughing at me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just made it seem so simple. <laughs> but at, at its root, you're exactly right. You, yeah, find, you find I mean, out where your flaws are and you practice it. Yeah, it's not, it's not complicated. It's hard to keep a straight mind around it. It's hard to be like, it's hard to not think that everything is wrong and you have to practice all the different things. It's hard to stay focused. There's a lot of things that are hard and complicated about it, but... In essence, if it's a technique issue, you just practice it and then it gets better. Got yeah. But if it's a if it's a relationship thing, that's that's really what all of what I talk about is is it's it's relationships. So what's what's your relation specific relationship to a note? I know it's it will change according to the length and where it fits in the passage of time, space time, and everything, but. Do you have different relationships with notes? Absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase, is a Thelonious Monk quote, which, listeners, if you have not listened to Thelonious Monk, he is a really incredible piano player. He's and a jazz, yes. Yeah, he's a jazz piano player, and he's a genius. Um, he's also a total weirdo, and I love him for many reasons. Um, but there's this this document that's floating around that's a bunch of quotes that a drummer took during a rehearsal just like things that monk said in the rehearsal and one of them is that a note can be as small as a pin or as big as the universe it just depends on your imagination and i think about that a lot because sometimes i want a pin and sometimes i want the universe and the idea that every note every sound can encompass whatever you want it to encompass i experience that when i'm playing that like it's not just about tone color and the shape of my face or like how I'm using my air or how what note I'm playing. It's all of the stuff that I want that to express has to come from within me. And if you have a good relationship with the beat, 
then that frees up, I would imagine, the ability to see each note and each sub-beat or breakdown of beat very, very differently than having this mindset of having to be, if you're playing in 4-4, four, four, bump, 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 bump. Yeah, um, it does. It's also what I'm talking about with building your relationship to the beat and growing it, and it's all about being grounded. And being grounded allows you to see a bigger picture. So it's the difference between looking at a, if you're looking at a brick wall, if you're trying to play the individual beats and you're looking at every like little detail, you're just looking at the bricks. And if you're grounded and you're experiencing a bigger sense, you can actually see the shape that the bricks are creating. Gotcha. And it's important to see the bricks. It's important to be able to understand all the little building blocks. But that's only the first step in creating art. Like if you get stuck there, and it's easy to get stuck there because it's it's building. It's so easy to just be like, well, if I if I get A down and then I work on B, then I have A and B, and then I just need to work on C, and then you have a building block and you feel like you're progressing. And a lot of stuff with these bigger rhythmic concepts, the progress is slower. And you don't necessarily notice it happening until one day you're just like, oh, I feel all this freedom in my playing that I did not experience before. Because you are able to create more distance. And distance in this case, meaning more just like perspective and space for yourself to exist and express. Do you think this is a really interesting correlation for what, if you listen to yourself, if you've done a recording many years ago, and then you listen to yourself many years later, mm-hmm. how one's playing has developed, how one's concept of, as you say, rhythm, uh, tonal uh, colours and general musicality has improved because of our relationship has developed with our music and our instrument. Absolutely. And I would add with ourselves. Yeah, very fair point. Um being a musician and being an artist, like what you were saying earlier, anyone can play the notes, but only you can play them like you do. And I think that's an important point that needs to be stressed is that who you are when you're playing matters a lot. And that's a thing that needs to be practiced just as much as what notes you're playing. It's like a lot of these exercises are also about what mindset you're in when you're practicing and cultivating that and developing that because who we are when we're practicing becomes who we are when we're performing. Like you practice, you get better at what you practice. So if you're stressed out and you're self-conscious and you're beating yourself up while you're practicing, that's going to come out in performance. If you're able to sink into what you're doing and to love yourself and love the sounds you're making when you're practicing that's going to come out in your performance and the root of all performance as we all know is being able to play in time with the beat and inside the beat and this whole and this whole project that you've that you've that you've done and you're now videoing the the Mm -hmm. book should enable people to advance much quicker with the fundamentals, which is the beat, to yes. free them up at an earlier time or much sooner to actually become musicians. 
Yeah. And the, the other thing I, I want to add to what you said of like it's, it's in the beat music. This stuff is about communication and it's a conversation. Like music is communication. It's abstract communication with sound. And like, just like a conversation you're having, there needs to be space, there needs to be listening, there needs to be, you need to be present. The more present you are, the better the conversation is going to be. Like if, you're, if you're really listening and really experiencing what the other person is saying, instead of list, waiting for your turn to talk, it gives you a much more, it, it gives you a deeper experience of your life. And the same goes in music. If you're really present and listening, the calmer and more at peace you can be in those moments, the more you can let go, the more you're able to actually experience the beauty of what you're creating. Because that's at the end, what it's all about is creating something beautiful to make the world better. Even if it's only your world in that moment. <laughs> I was having a complete meltdown the other day and my husband said something very smart to me um, because I was, you know, freaking out about the world falling apart and not getting to play and all of that again. And he was like, you know, you are a valid audience for your music. You are allowed to enjoy the music you're making. It doesn't have to be for anyone else. And I think that's really important that we make sure to enjoy the process of making these things that are beautiful, that are beautiful and incredible and a privilege to get to do. Yeah. I mean, I pause there because it's quite profound, isn't it? How many of us are actually making music for us first? Or are we doing it to please others? Well, right now with the pandemic, we only have ourselves. Yeah, and the downside to that is that many many people are self-critical. And, you know, it goes in, you know, we won't go into that now, but there's lots of issues that re reason why people will be negative about themselves and their playing. But that's that's a practice. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's a lifelong that's, practice. That's actually that's a valid point to get into for just a second. Like being self-critical is just as much a practice as self-love is. Yeah, absolutely. And an insecurity with we're going back right to the beginning of this conversation. The insecurity of a musician it starts around the root of everything, which is you open well. You don't, but a lot of people listening to this will be opening their piece of music and there'll be not there'll be blobs on sticks on a page. And the beat will be predetermined by numbers at the beginning and by rests and by the length of the blob on the stick. If people really want to understand what it's like to play with the beat but have that feeling within them rather than the self-reliance on the blob on the stick or the bar line or the piano beat down beat by signing up to Elsa's Between the Beats on Patreon, you'll begin a journey to, I think, self-discovery, self-discovering the freedom that self-reliance on others or a bar line brings. And but also buying the book the Between the Beats book, because I have that. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite revelatory, really, because I've always yeah. seen a beat as a beat. Yeah. And the beat is always predefined. And finding a gap 
or being able to or given permission you give you give yourself you tell people to give yourself permission to find the spaces between the notes and yeah. don't be predefined so i i honestly think that actually bringing this to the video platform where people can see you to personalize it yeah will make the whole understanding and concept much easier to follow and reality really because you're a good teacher the, I mean, the other thing with the video platform and with Patreon specifically is that I want people to reach out to me there. Like, I would love to have conversations with people around this. I would love to talk about individuals' experiences with this and like what's hard, what's not, like what, because I'm still learning. We're all still learning. That's part of the beauty of this. And because I care so much about community, and but you're you're really contactable and relatable anywhere on social media anyway aren't you i hope so um i'm not always the fastest at responding because sometimes i get lost in trees but um no you have a healthy regard for social media it's not your life no it's not and i don't i love the people on there i don't love the platform yeah Uh, which means that if people write me on there it makes me really happy and i want to have those conversations but it might take me a couple days to respond You've got it. I think you've got the balance exactly right. You know, some people live their their scrolling finger. I'm surprised they haven't got RSI most of the time. If they were to spend more time on their self-love or actually um, recharging their own batteries than they do scrolling through their feed, my word, wouldn't we be a healthier society? I agree. I just I I just watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix and um, it's it's making me put even more limits on myself in terms of time spent on socials. Highly recommend everyone should watch that. Do it on a day where you have the mental capacity for it, though. Yeah, I mean, I had a week away last week, which I won't go into details, but mobiles weren't allowed. And it was a revelation. I came back, and then on Monday, I had to start my usual job. And Mm -hmm. it was quite hard to actually open up social media again and then get all this flood of stuff coming down. And part of me just wanted to walk away. And I just love the freedom that it gave. Now, if, if I was a full-time musician like you, yeah, not having the emotional baggage that comes with an in-depth relationship with social media will be so much, so much more freedom. Yeah. Um, I keep that in mind and I try to keep giving myself that freedom. But there's also the reality that it's a really wonderful way to reach people. It is, yes. And there's, and there's good community on there as well. It, yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's, it's just. I just, it's just very addictive, and with an addiction yeah. of wanting to go <laughs> on and answer comments, and then you get into dialogue. And people are lovely. They really are. Lots of them are lovely. Certainly, most of the flute players. Well, like, I can't think of any flute players aren't very nice, but they're all <laughs> really lovely, and they all want to interact and they all want to talk. But before you know it, there's two hours gone. Which is another reason that I want that I'm using Patreon as a platform for this because it's not a social media platform. It's a it's a separate space that would be just about this, which would allows me to be more engaged and involved, and um, would allow anyone who signs up for it to have a more direct connection with me, rather than having it be in the context of social media. It's just like it's just me. It's like an email so for those of you who don't know patreon how do people find it i'll put a link at the bottom of this anyway elsa but how do people find is it patreon.com and then the slash 
Yes. Um, so Patreon, the Patreon platform is a running artist support platform. Yep. And like, if there's an artist you love that has a Patreon, I encourage you to sign up because usually like it's $12 or less a month for just like being directly connected with the people who are making the art that you love. Cool. Two, two coffees. Two, yeah. Yeah. Two coffees yeah. a month. Why? <laughs> That's nothing, is it? I think I'm signed up for like six different people's Patreons <laughs> and it's, it's direct support. Like I'm directly supporting people making things that I think are valuable and it's, it's running. So it's, yeah, it's subscription based thing. And I'm making sure with my patrons, like I'm releasing a video a week. I'm doing a, a lesson a week so that anyone who signs up feels like they're getting their money's worth for sure. And also it's all of the videos stay there. So if you sign up in six months, you get six months worth of videos that are the class and you can, and you have access to me the whole time. So it's patreon.com slash between the beats or. That's the one. Wow. That's very easy, isn't it? It is. And I have, I have everything on there from like just viewing the videos that I'm making to, if you want to have a private lesson, um, or, also, there's all sorts of stuff on there. Um, there's one level I think that I put that you can you can send me recordings of you playing and I'll give you feedback. Um, all sorts of stuff. Well, that sounds fabulous, and it, it's given you a. I, I know you will always prefer live because yeah. you're a, a musician, and there is nothing like. Also, because I'm a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. It's like being stuck in. I suppose for a musician at the moment, it's like being stuck in a. In a, in a room for years and years isn't it you have not been able to go out and see other individuals and with I know you're not sort of confined to that but as a musician if you can't play to an audience the the feeling of constriction is still there even if it is online yeah it's a good thing to have an outlet um and to be able to reach people the beauty of the beauty of the online world is that I can reach people all over the world and I do um where otherwise it would just be people who are able to come to my house. <laughs> well, Elsa, it's it's lovely to catch up with you and to feel, you know, feel optimism intermingled yeah. with a reality. And it's been a so it's been a few months since we last spoke, and yeah, things are getting better in New York, but there's always yeah. the chance of a second wave or whatever. Like we're beginning to experience yeah. over in the UK where we've got new restrictions being put in yeah. this week, as I mentioned to you before the podcast. But more importantly, not only have you embraced social media and the web, but you're also now putting on the online, the thing that has developed you from an insecure musician when it comes to the beat and playing as a group or playing with groups, mm -hmm. you're putting it out now for everybody online. And I, yes. and I think what you're doing with Patreon uh, Between the Beats will be a valuable tool for anybody. And it isn't, you, don't, you won't go on there and, and learn to, you know, play Daphnis or Le Premidi or the, your um, various uh, studies. This is a very different look but it goes to the root of every musician. And this is why it's important. Yes. 
Yeah. And it's not that you can't play those things for me. It's just that if you play those things for me, I'm going to give you a very different, very different feedback <laughs> than you would from someone who is trained in the classical world. Yeah. I wish you much success with Thanks. the Patreon, Elsa. And also in the coming days and weeks, because we ain't, we're not going to meet for a while, are we? Because I won't be coming over to New York for a while. And so it'll prob yeah. probably be, oh, hopefully, NFA next year, which is such a long way away. It's a ways. And we'll see. If I can get over to New York beforehand, you know, we'll catch up because absolutely we have so many, we have so many mutual friends over there, don't we? In yes. your beautiful city. It is a really beautiful place. It's a little weird right now, but it'll come back. <laughs> yeah. They, they, there's an old saying, isn't there? Is you, you go to New York um, to be hard and then you go to California to be soft, learn to be soft. And, and I'm uh, from California, living in New York. <laughs> I've <got> both. <laughs> oh, thank you once again, Elsa, for taking thank time so out of your day for me. talking to me. And, you know, I'm wishing you well, with not only with the project, but also with you navigating as a musician and someone that makes, earns their living and pays the rent by the notes you play to an audience. So, you. Uh, you know, I wish you much success in the coming weeks and months ahead. Thank you, Jean-Paul. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to do these podcasts. Oh, it's my pleasure entirely. And thank you once again to you for listening. Thank you also to Elsa, before I forget, to this Extra Talking Flutes Extra podcast. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Talking Flutes Extra, 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 Extra. extra, extra. <laughs> may your day and week ahead be musically fulfilling. And may your pianissimo high F sharp come out beautiful. Beautiful? Beautifully. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.